What's doing, everybody? Today is Tuesday, October 31st. It's Halloween and a scary time in America, particularly for Jewish students attending Ivy League schools where anti-Semitism is running rampant. Professor Emeritus of Harvard Law, Alan Dershowitz, joins me on the podcast today to talk all about that and so much more. Plus, United States Navy SEAL Tim Sheehy is running for U.S. Senate in Montana. He's going to join me on the podcast as well. Plus, I have got two major announcements to make right here. I'm Alec Lace. This is The Alec Lace Show. The American family is under attack. Parents are the underdog of this nation. Your children are being indoctrinated. That's right. Your children. They do not belong to the state. They do not belong to the school system. They belong to you the parents as a blessing from God our Father. So let's preserve, protect, and fight for the American family together. You're listening to The Alec Lee Show. The future is family. Welcome, everybody, to The Alec Lee Show. I'm happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. Thank you for stopping by. If you're watching the broadcast live here on Rumble, you know what to do. Get down there, smash that share button. Let's bring as many people into the broadcast here as possible. Share it with everybody in your contact list. Put it on your socials. And take part in the live chat that's down there as well. Let's get some conversations going. I've got a great program for you guys today. Two tremendous guests to bring you. First up, we're going to have Alan Dershowitz here. We're going to talk all about what's happening with Israel, Hamas, and the just the shocking amount of anti-Semitism coming really from the left in the United States here, in particular from the college universities, a place where uh, Alan Dershowitz served as a professor at Harvard for 50 years at Harvard Law. Uh, so very curious to get his take on all of this. So we're going to break that all down. And then also today, always honored when I get a chance to speak to our Navy SEALs, the bravest, the best that we've got in this country. The United States Navy SEAL Tim Sheehy is going to join me on the podcast as well. He is running for the United States Senate seat in Montana, a very, very competitive seat, no doubt. Uh, but I'm glad to see Navy SEALs just like Tim getting into the fight. We definitely need their voices in Washington. So it's going to be an honor to have him join me on the podcast today as well. And I do have uh, two major, major announcements to make for you guys. Uh, first, I will tell you that I have a major guest announcement to make at the end of today's podcast. So stick around to the end of the show today for a major guest that will be joining me here on the podcast next week. And I'll tell you right now, if you didn't get a chance to see my interview last week with Dinesh D'Souza, I highly recommend you flip it back and take a listen. Dinesh D'Souza joined me on the podcast here. Also, Cash Patel joined me on the same episode and we talked all about the new film from Dinesh D'Souza and Dan Bongino titled Police State. Now, Police State, if you haven't seen it already, I highly recommend you do. I am going to the premiere of the movie. I have been invited to go to the premiere of the movie at Mar-a-Lago down in Florida. So I will be jumping on a plane tomorrow morning and flying down there for the premiere of the movie tomorrow night uh, at Donald Trump's house down there at Mar-a-Lago with Dinesh D'Souza, Dan Bongino, and a ton of other patriots. It's going to be a huge honor for me to be there uh, just to get a chance to experience. And I really owe that all to you, the watchers, the listeners out there, for keeping this show uh, going and enabling me to get guests like Dinesh D'Souza, bring them on here to the podcast, and so many of the other guests that you see right on the board here behind me, Congresswoman Anna Polina Luna, Carrie Lake, uh, uh, Dr. Ben Carson, the list really goes on and on. And really, I could not do it without your help, without your support. So I will be live at Mar-a-Lago, which is really an honor, but it also means that I will not be doing a live show on Thursday because I will be traveling back here on Thursday. So I won't be able to put up a live show here on Rumble for you guys. So the next episode is going to be on Tuesday, a week from today. Unless I'm going to see how things roll. Maybe I'll slide an episode out Friday if I can manage it. But just plan on this being the only episode of the week. And it's a great one because, as I said, i got two great guests going to hit you guys with. But I will be uh, live at Mar-a-Lago tomorrow night for the premiere of Police State. The link to Police State, the film, is down there in the description below if you want to check it out, which I highly recommend you do. Because, as I said, it is Halloween right now and it is a scary time in America. And Police State may be just the scariest film you see all season. Uh, j just because you are the victim here. You you are the person that they are coming to get. And that is laid out very well by Dinesh D'Souza, who uh, very few do it better than he does when it comes to a documentary. So it's going to be an honor for me to be down there. I will be sharing videos and pictures. I'll try to go live on my social medias. So follow me on Twitter. Follow me on uh, Instagram, at Alec Lace. 
Links are down there below for you guys to follow me. And I highly recommend jump on. I, I started a locals community. Uh, join join the locals community. I'll go live on the locals community for you guys as well. If you want to support me, support the show, uh, get down there and do that. And so let's get into this here right now. Really one of the most shocking things and one of the most scariest things for Jewish students at Ivy League schools is they have been just, I think, shocked by how many uh, people are not just pro-Palestine, pro-Hamas and uh, that they are surrounded by. And I think the other part of this, it's like a, a double whammy, is that most of these people are all coming from the party within that they are a part of. So they're looking to, to around them to the left and to the right of the people that they're surrounded by and finding out that they're anti-Semitic and that they support Palestine, but just support uh, extinguishing the Jewish people. So this has been a thing that's been going on, in, not just in universities, but in city after city. We're seeing it in country after country. We're seeing this overwhelming support uh, for Hamas justifying what they did in totally annihilating these innocent people in Israel. So uh, I, I cannot believe uh, what what we are seeing. And so you're seeing videos, too, on Instagram of these pro-Hamas people pulling down pictures that people are putting up, particularly in New York City, uh, where they're putting up pictures of people that have been kidnapped, uh, of Jews that have been kidnapped, and these pro-Palestines are pulling them down. It's just, it's a crazy and scary time. I mean, we are really just about to set off a just a World War III here in this, in, 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 very soon. If not, it hasn't begun already. But we are seeing, you know, very high tensions in the Middle East, and things are going to get out of control real quick. And, you know, it's just, too, I think these people that go to these college universities are so shocked by what they're seeing because they've been eating these lies that they've been told from their own part for so many years, you know, that we, we've heard about, number one, the COVID vaccine. How many of these people believed the COVID vaccine was safe and effective? Well, now we find out it's not safe and it ain't effective. Less than 2% of Americans have even taken this new COVID rollout. No one's taken it because they realize that it don't work. So they've been lied to. They ate that lie, though. Black Lives Matter. Everybody jumped into the Black Lives Matter pool, donating money, all these leagues around the world. Well, now what happens? It's at its lowest support in five years, and all these major companies are quietly pulling all the BMM crap off of their websites, Coca-Cola one of being one of them. We've been lied to, you know, the people have been lied to about January 6th, Trump, Russia. Uh, it really goes on and on. There's more than two genders. The climate change is man-made. So they're eating all these lies that the left has been telling them. And one of them is that it's the right that is the white supremacists. The white people are the racist ones. They're, the left is for diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. And all that uh, hatred comes from the right. But then they're looking and they're saying, well, wait a minute. Every one of these people that I'm surrounded by that's anti-Semitic is coming from the left. So what happened here? And so that's why I want to bring on uh, law professor Alan Dershowitz here, who, you know, who I, I'm sure is no less shocked than any of you students that are out there at these Ivy League schools, because what we are seeing is absolutely disgraceful and disgusting. So I'm going to get his take. Alan Dershowitz joins me now. Tim Sheehy, U.S. Navy SEAL, running for U.S. Senate to follow, and then a major guest announcement at the end of the program. All right, so let's do this right now. Uh, let's bring on Alan Dershowitz. Got him in the Zoom room. Here we go. Uh, joining me now, uh, Harvard professor of law, emeritus Alan Dershowitz. Welcome to the Alec Lay Show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you here. Let's just uh, jump right into this here. Uh, I know uh, just like you, I've been and so many Americans have been surprised by the amount of anti-Semitism coming from the college universities in this uh, country, particularly the Ivy League schools and right down to at Harvard, you, you, your place of uh, work for a very long time. Uh, the, the latest is the Harvard pre president, Claudine Gay, formed an advisory group to combat this anti-Semitism on campus. Uh, what is your response to this anti-Semitism going on at Harvard? And is this advisory group going to be enough? Obviously not. Uh, the advisory group is designed only to make sure that Harvard keeps getting funded by donors who have cut off their funding. Uh, Harvard uh, allows anti-Semites to teach, um, to be administrators, um, as part of their uh, reckoning program uh, and diversity inclusion uh, and uh, equity, uh, they have hired bunches of people uh, who uh, hate Jews. And um, uh, they have applied a, a clear double standard. They would never, ever hire somebody who had antagonism toward gays or African-Americans or transgender people, or Muslims, or Arabs. But uh, uh, Jews, uh, under uh, intersectionality and inclusion, uh, don't seem to merit um, uh, consideration. Uh, it's a problem that Harvard has had going back uh, 
uh, 100 years when it had quotas on Jews, when it supported the Nazis uh, during the 1930s and welcomed uh, Nazis and sent delegation to Nazi universities. Harvard has had a Jewish problem from the very beginning. It appropriately did reckoning with its relationship to African-Americans after the George Floyd case. The time has come to do a reckoning about its history, not only with Jews, but with Catholics. It has a real Catholic problem, too, over the years. It discriminated virulently against Irish Catholics and Italian Catholics. And so Harvard has a lot of reckoning to do, and I don't think we have the right people in place to do it. Well said. And Professor, I mean, I'm a Catholic myself, and it just seems like Christians, Catholics, it seems like it's always been okay to dunk on the Christian community. We see it in in comedies and cartoons. They always mock Jesus, and we always constantly see that. You don't really see that against Muhammad. You don't see these the Prophet Muhammad being mocked and ridiculed the way that they do Jesus. Uh, But but getting back, go ahead. I don't know if you want to comment. I I just want to make one point. Uh, You know, I voted for President Biden. I probably will vote for him again. But he is dead wrong when he puts in the same sentence, uh, anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim attitudes. There is no anti-Muslim attitude going on today at university campuses. Muslims are at the top of the pecking order. Uh, they're, they're regarded as the most privileged. And, and to compare what's going on in universities today, just to, to kind of virtue chest pounding and say, see, we're good to Jews and Muslims equally. There's no equality there. There is no anti-Muslim and anti-Arab feelings and attitudes at universities. It's a myth. It's made up. But there is tremendous amount of anti-Jewish feeling and anti-Semitism and anti-Christian feeling. And we should not put them in the same paragraph. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and isn't it interesting, too, Professor, that, you know, these same people, uh, you know, mo- uh, obviously predominantly on the left that have been calling Donald Trump and his supporters Nazis and white supremacists for the last five years are the same ones that are in the boat supporting these pro Hamas uh, rallies and stuff. I mean, what, what do you make out of that? How does that make any sense? Well, that's, when this first happened, October 7th, I dropped everything and decided to write a book. I finished the book literally today. It's called The War Against the Jews. And uh, it'll be out soon. It's already a, a bestseller on Amazon, dot, uh, on Amazon, even before it's been published. And in it, I go through all of these, all of these issues and show the double standards that have been applicable for a long, long time. It's OK to go after Jews and Christians. It's not OK. And it shouldn't be OK to go after Muslims or Arabs or African-Americans or people of other uh, minorities. But you can't have a double standard. You have to have the same standard for all groups and all minorities. And, and every university is failing that test, every single one of them. Yeah, and talk about double standards. And then again, War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism. I have the link to the book down there so the listeners can pre-order it. But talking about the double standard, we just saw last year Kanye West get banned from virtually every internet platform there is uh, because of some of the things he said. Jews own Hollywood, uh, Jews own the banks. Uh, so he was banished. But how come it was we banned Kanye West, but all these other people that we're seeing in droves now on Twitter, on Instagram, and, and it seems like there is no back. There is no banning. There is no censoring. Talk about a double standard here. Well, that's why I am making it a policy to try to find out the names of every student, every professor, every administrator, every president, uh, every organization that uh, supports Hamas. The National Lawyers Guild, which has thousands of lawyers in every single law school in the country virtually, even before Israel ever fired a shot blamed the entire thing on Israel, said it was an appropriate military response to occupation. Black Lives Matter in Chicago did the same thing. They have to be held accountable. I want the name of every single student who signed on to these obnoxious, racist petitions. As far as I'm concerned, these students, I don't care if they're 18 or 19 or if they're my friend's children, they're Hitler's youth. They are the same as the people who brought Hitler to power, who brought Stalin to power, who brought the Ayatollahs to power. Remember, students, students have been involved in many of the worst bloodbaths of history. And now we see students who are calling for death to the Jews, who are putting swastikas on dormitories, who are threatening to cut the throats of Jews. And we're not seeing sufficient response from university campuses. You know what Harvard did? Harvard set up a commission 
to take care of these poor young children who signed on to these anti-Semitic ads and, and wants to protect them from being held accountable. They want to protect them from me because I want to hold them accountable. And I don't care what Harvard does. I'm going to hold them accountable. Let them appoint all the committees they want. If I find out the name of a student who voluntarily and willingly signed on to anything that's anti-Jewish, anti-Catholic, anti-Christian, anti-Muslim, anti-anything, their name should be published. And, and Professor, you, I know you just mentioned there, too, that you're a supporter of President Biden. You said you probably vote for him again. Is, is it not a disgrace that he has not called out by name Black Lives Matter for supporting Hamas and posting that picture? Is it not a shame that he's not calling out the pro-Hamas people in his in, in his own party uh, that are supporting these things and, and calling for the death of Jews? Isn't that a, isn't that a just a, a crime against uh, the president's uh, seat there for him to do so for, to be silent on that is disgraceful? I think that both parties have to call out members of their own parties. And there are more villains in the Democrats today than there were in the Republicans. There are some on the right side, too. But uh, the people in Congress, the squad, they have to be called out by uh, name. Uh, Black Lives Matter has to be called out by name. Nobody should contribute one nickel to Black Lives Matter. You can support Black Lives. I do. But Black Lives Matter doesn't think that Jewish lives matter or that Israeli lives matter. And until they change their attitude, not one penny, not one penny to any charities that apply a double standard to uh, Jews. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm sending my money elsewhere. I'm not going to cut down on my charitable giving. I'm just going to reprioritize where I'm sending my money to, not to any university today, which doesn't pass a test of real equality, not the fake tests of diversity, equity and inclusion. And here's the thing, Professor, I, I think with this entire Israel Hamas war that we're seeing right now, if you're you can't, in my opinion, you cannot be pro-Palestine if you're not anti-Hamas. So I understand the fact that you don't want to see uh, innocent people killed on either side. But to not condemn Hamas, like if you condemn Hamas first and say, hey, I want to protect Palestinian lives. It's another story of just say, right. just a, avoiding that altogether and just going all in with the Hamas. I agree with you. First of all, there has not been a single a single pro-Palestine demonstration anywhere in the world since October 7th. Not a single one has called for a two-state solution. They all call for the end of Israel. They're not pro-Palestine. They're anti-Israel. They're anti-Semitic. They're anti-American. They're anti-Christian. They're anti-Judeo-Christian. They're anti-anti-anti. They are not pro-anything. If you want to be pro-Palestine, join me in calling for a two-state solution and the end of Hamas. The only way you'll get a two-state solution is if Hamas is destroyed. And the biggest beneficiaries of the destruction of Hamas will be the Palestinian people, second, the Israeli people, and third, the rest of the world. I agree. And, and what do you, what's your take on Elon Musk? I know re, just the other day he offered Starlink for aid organizations in Gaza. What's your reaction to that? Well, I'd like to hear more about that. I recently had a conversation with Elon Musk, and he seemed to be very supportive of Israel and Jewish causes. I'd like to know whether this is purely humanitarian. If it is, I understand that. Uh, and I think humanitarian aid is, is fine. I also think that the, Israel has the right to, um, uh, to uh, protect its own troops and its own citizens uh, first. And just today, there was a bombing, it's a tragic bombing of a of a refugee a camp, but they were harboring one of the apparently most important Hamas leaders. And if you harbor a Hamas leader among civilians, you know there are going to be civilian casualties. Whenever the Israeli army kills a human shield, that death is attributable to Hamas, not to Israel. Right. I think the majority of these deaths that we're all seeing are attributable to Hamas, because if not for Hamas, none of them would be taking place right from the from the drum here. Uh, but also, too, what, what is your take here? Now, we have American hostages amongst the many hostages that are being held by Hamas. And it just seems like uh, the president has been mum on this, very quiet. The press seems to be very quiet about this. We hear a little bit about it here and there. Uh, I know CNN was on there talking about all the amenities that the hostages had. They had shampoo and deodorant and tampons. They made it sound like it was an Airbnb luxury resort that these hostages were being held. But is there being enough done here? How do we get these hostages out of there? What's your take on that situation? Well, I hope that the United States is working behind the scenes with Qatar. I know the Emir of Qatar. I know his brother. I've met his mother. Um, they always play both ends against the middle. They have good relations with Hamas, with Iran, and with the United States. And if they can't get these hostages out safely, then 
maybe they haven't been fulfilling their role well enough. If they're going to maintain their role as a go-between, they have to show something in response. And I'm hoping that Qatar will deliver. And if it doesn't deliver, they also will have to pay some consequences for their support of Iran. And Professor, I think we're being a little bit naive when we think that the $6 billion that was unlocked to Iran or that the humanitarian aid that's coming in is going for good causes. I think we have to be kind of crazy to think that that's the truth and that they're only going to use it for good. It seems obvious like this is going to be just funding. It seems like the the Hamas has run out of everything but rockets and ammunition. So somebody's funding these people. And where are they getting it all from? Well, Well, they're getting a lot of it from Qatar, a lot of it from Iran. And of course, there's no such thing as humanitarian aid in 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 Gaza. When humanitarian aid is given to the UN, uh, Hamas takes it and uses the fuel to send rockets to Israel. Uses the food to feed its people. Just look at the, look at the way it built its tunnels. It does not allow civilians into the tunnels. If it allowed civilians into the tunnels, there would be far fewer civilian casualties. But the tunnels are reserved as bomb shelters and safe places only for Hamas leaders, not for the average uh, citizen of the Gaza Strip who is victimized every day by Hamas. And it's almost like a playbook right out of what we saw in Somalia back in 93 when the U.N. was trying to give aid and humanitarian food and supplies to the people of Somalia who were being starved to death. And the government people uh, took all that supplies from them and would keep it from them. If you control the food supply, you could control the resources, you control the people. And that's exactly what Hamas is doing to the people of Palestine. Yet, out of all these pro-Palestine rallies that we're seeing, none of them are holding up a sign saying down with Hamas. Uh, let's let's if it seems like Palestinians that are pro Palestinian should join the fight with Israel against Hamas to get them the hell out of that region, take away their power, and then restore some type of civility to the region. Yeah, but we're never going to see that because there are no real pro-Palestinian groups in the United States. They're anti-Israel groups. Uh, These aren't people that are human rights advocates. They don't talk about the Kurds. They don't talk about the Uyghurs. They don't talk about other people. They only talk about the one group uh, that is allegedly, allegedly um, uh, uh, affected by by the nation state of the Jewish people. This is not about the Palestinians. This is all about opposition to Israel and opposition to Jews. And let there be no mistake about that. Okay. In your book, War Against the Jews: How to End uh, Hamas Barbarism, the link to the book is down there below. What are we going to learn from the book? Are we coming out December, I believe, uh, Professor. It'll be out December. I'm just finishing it up. Literally today, I go right from the beginning. I give the history. I give the predictions about where we're going. I give my interviews that I've had with Netanyahu. Uh, I met with him. I had dinner with him for three hours a week before all this happened. And uh, nobody anticipated anything like this would happen. You know, I think ordering my book in advance sends an important signal uh, to those who are uh, claiming to uh, support the Palestinians, because I make the case very strongly that this is all about being against Israel, not so much being for the Palestinians. So I would really appreciate if people pre-ordered the book. I think you'll enjoy reading it. Yeah, again, got the link down below. What is your take on the, the Congress uh, trying to give humani- uh, give our aid, funding a bill to send to Israel, but trying to lump it in now and try to get more money for Ukraine in the same process? Should we just keep these two things separate? I think everything should be kept separate. I think that Congress has the right to vote differently on different countries. Personally, I would vote for aid for both countries, but congressmen should not be extorted who are pro-Israel to also vote for aid to the Ukraine if they don't want to. All right. And a last word I want to get on you. Obviously, you wrote the great book called Get Trump. Trump is being indicted. He's on trial right now. They are trying to do everything in their power to get his name off the ballot in states like Colorado. Uh, They're trying to prevent him. It seems like if this was a legitimate president that got 81 million votes that beat him by a landslide in the last election, you wouldn't need to do all this to your opposition. But yet we're seeing it from every single angle coming at him. What's your latest? What's your take on all these indictments going on against Trump? And does it affect him running in 2024? Any of this stuff? Well, first of all, he won't be disqualified from running under the 14th Amendment. That's just a misreading of the Constitution. But he will, I think, be convicted probably of one or two of the offenses before the election. It won't affect his getting the nomination, but it might affect his general electability. I don't know. The goal, the tactic is to try to get convictions before the election. And then some of them will be reversed on appeal because they have no basis in law or fact. 
but the reversals will only occur after the election when it's too late to affect the election. So it does constitute election interference. Okay. Uh, well, last word on the uh, Israel-Hamas war. What would you like to hear from President Biden? Should he be doing more? In your opinion, if you could talk to Biden, what would, you, what would be your advice to him on how to help our, our greatest ally in the region, Israel? I would, first of all, put a lot more pressure on Qatar and make them show something, make them produce uh, hostages and re- release hostages and make them be worth what we give them and we give them so much. Um, we have an army base there. Um, and I think Qatar has to come through. And I think that the president has to do that. Second, I think that there'll come a time, it may not be today or tomorrow, when the United States and Israel together with Israel using its air force must bomb and destroy Iran's nuclear capability. Having an Iranian mullah country with nuclear weapons. Can you imagine what they would have done on October 7th if they had nuclear weapons to give to Hezbollah or Hamas? So that's the first priority. Prevent Iran from ever, ever developing a nuclear arsenal. And now there's a justification for doing it because Iran attacked Israel and Iran is now attacking Americans. And the United States is fighting back, maybe not strongly enough, but ultimately the goal has to be the destruction of Iran's nuclear capacity and the ultimate goal, regime change. We cannot allow an enemy like Iran to be ruled by mullahs. The majority of the Iranian people don't want these mullahs to rule them. And they are being denied their right to self-determination. If there were an election in Iran today, the mullahs would lose overwhelmingly. Agreed. Yep. Great stuff. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism. Link to the book. Pre-order it down below in the description. Uh, Thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you here. Thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time on the Alec Lay Show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Honored to have Professor Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz joined me on the podcast here. What do you think about the interview? Hit me with a link or hit me with a comment down there in the live chat. Hit me with a comment down below. Let me know what you thought about it. His new book, War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism. The link to his new book is down there. Again, he's also the author of Get Trump. Uh, So we were able to get into as much as I could while I had him here. So again, grateful that he gave me a few minutes of his time. Uh, Again, let me know what you thought in the comments down below. I'm going to hit you guys with a quick spot right now, and I'm going to be back on the other end. U.S. Navy SEAL combat veteran Tim Sheehy joins me on the podcast and tells us about his run for the U.S. Senate seat, one one of the most highly competitive ones in Montana. You're listening to The Alec Lee Show. Alec Lace has interviewed more than 700 dads on his award-winning podcast, First Class Fatherhood. Dads from all walks of life, including Tom Brady, Deion Sanders, Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, Tony Hawk, Eric Trump, and so many more. Find out why First Class Fatherhood has been number one on the iTunes charts. Who these men are as fathers and how they raise their children is far more important than anything they accomplish in their careers. Alec Lace encourages his high-profile guests to share their fatherhood journeys and offer advice to new and soon-to-be dads. Let every father in your contact list know about First Class Fatherhood. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Every day is Father's Day on First Class Fatherhood. You're listening to The Alec Lee Show. The future is family. Welcome back and happy Halloween to all of you listeners out there. I know you parents out there that got your little ones. They're going to be uh, trick-or-treating tonight. They got their costumes on. And I know for the left, for so many in the transgender community, every day is Halloween for them because they pretend to be somebody that they're not every day of the week. Uh, So this is no surprise to them. Actually, uh, June saw a lot of trick or treaters, I guess you could call them, at the White House there. They had all they were all wearing their costumes on the on the South Lawn. But Halloween, it's a scary time for parents as well because so many nut jobs out there that are willing to do harm to your children. So obviously, using caution is the best bet, being with them. My kids, I only have two trick-or-treaters left, unfortunately. So my two teenagers are a little too cool for school when it comes to trick-or-treating now, 17 and 16. They're out of the game. Uh, so the two little ones will be taking part in the trick-or-treating. Uh, and right now, we are going to get into, I'm going to introduce you guys to a U.S. Navy SEAL combat veteran of multiple deployments, uh, many combat missions. He's a highly decorated combat veteran. Uh, he's got the Bronze Star with Valor for heroism in combat, the Purple Heart for being wounded as well, and many other accolades uh, during his time with the SEAL teams. He is also an uh, fire, uh, active firefighting pilot. 
A huge honor to have him on here. So let me introduce you guys now to Tim Sheehy, who is running against John Tester for the seat, the U.S. Senate seat in Montana. We need his voice, and let's see what he's all about. Here we go. Uh, joining me now, Tim Sheehy. Welcome to the Alec Lay Show. Thanks for having me, Alex. All right. Well, let's start here. Obviously, uh, our political situation in the country is a nightmare here. You, you've served our country as a Navy SEAL, and now you've thrown your hat into this political arena. What made you decide to uh, get involved here and run for Senate? Well, summer of 2021, to be honest, you know, I uh, my business, I started after I got out. I was wounded, so ended up being medically unable to be a SEAL. So I started my business here in Montana called Bridger Aerospace, and we're an aerial firefighting company. So we're the planes that fly through the smoke. We drop the water on the wildfires and try to protect our communities uh, of the American West. And super proud of our mission, very proud of our veteran team. And uh, the summer of 2021 specifically, you know, it was a very busy fire year. Uh, me and my team were out flying fires, you know, full days every day. It's a tiring job flying those planes, those water bombers, low altitude through the fires. And, you know, by day we're fighting fires. And by night in August, September, you know, we were all working through the night, uh, getting our friends and allies out of Afghanistan as we had that terrible Bosch withdrawal, watching 20 years of sacrifice get washed down the drain. You know, I was wounded there. My wife was an active duty Marine. She served in Afghanistan. You know, I lost friends there. And to see our sacrifice so dishonored by our commander in chief, uh, it was the first time in my life as someone who wore our flag in a battle hundreds of times, I was ashamed of our flag. I was ashamed of our country because people we'd made promises to that we were not going to abandon them. Uh, we did. And uh, I knew right then that something had to change. And that's when I started to get involved uh, in politics. But prior to that, I just never was. I'm 37 years old. I got four young kids. I got a fast growing business with hundreds of employees. You know, I've been focused on on those things and um, and rightfully so, I believe. But for the first time, I felt like, you know, we need a new generation of people getting involved in the political landscape in this country. We can't see, keep sending the same people back for 40, 50 years at a time in Joe Biden's case, uh, because the future for our children just will not be there. So that's that's what caused me to get involved, not necessarily just to run, but really just to get engaged, start hosting events, going to events. And through that kind of organically bubbled up the some of the local Local uh, folks here involved in the Montana Republican Party and elsewhere said, hey, listen, you know, we've seen a lot of the last couple of years. Would you consider running? And um, obviously it's a big decision. Uh, my wife and I both had to had to get together and, and think hard. But um, unquestionably, when the country calls a serve, you have to answer. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're in the fights. I mean, thank you for your service, uh, of course. And, you know, I, I spent this past summer. I, uh, I did the, the Navy SEAL swim across the Hudson River with a whole bunch of your teammates there. And I, I've interviewed a bunch of them on my show, First Class Fatherhood. And I'm just always amazed by what you do. But the sentiment there at the swim was similar to what you just said. So much, so many of those guys gave so much, lost so much in the last 20 years in these wars. And to see the way that it was pulled out really had a, had a drastic effect on so many of them. And, and they are disgusted. And now... Uh, I'm, listen, I'm in the communist state of New Jersey here. This stuff's gotten way out of control. The economy is, is crushing us here. Uh, the inflation, no doubt, is, is affecting everybody everywhere. But what is it? What are the main issues in Montana here uh, that, that you're keying up on? What are the main issues that you're trying to attack mm -hmm. and want to change in Montana? Because I'm not sure what the whole you know, is situation. I know Montana is a totally different way of living, different way of life out there. So what is it out there that's top on the list? Well, oddly enough, one of the very top things for our uh, voter base, both Republican and Democrat is the southern border. You know, we're a northern border state with a southern border problem. You know, our rural communities are being hollowed out by the fentanyl epidemic. Uh, the cartels, you know, have moved into Montana in a big way. In the last six years, you know, for the first time, people are seeing, you know, uh, home burglaries. Uh, this is kind of made the area around here. People leave their uh, doors unlocked. They don't lock their cars. Now catalytic converters are getting stolen out of cars. Um, uh, burglaries are happening. Car th thefts is happening. And people are looking around them saying, you know, what's happening with this? And then you pair that with uh, the broader economic conditions uh, of inflation and, and real incomes going down with the cost of everything going through the roof. We're a rural economy. You know, some people drive two or three hours to work every day. The driveway on my ranch is 12 miles long. So, you know, it, with $6 diesel, you know, in your ranch truck to go down and check the mail and come home is 50 bucks. You know, so the, the cost of living every day in Montana has skyrocketed. And you can directly attribute it that. Uh, to the very fundamental policies of this administration. When you print money six times faster than the economy is growing, uh, you're going to have inflation. When you constrict American energy uh, production in, in all respects, 
cost of energy goes up. It's that simple. And when the cost of energy goes up, the real cost of all goods goes up and incomes don't track with that. So Montanans are definitely feeling the pinch of spiking energy costs, uh, runaway inflation, and the lack of real income growth. And, and place that against the backdrop of, of the cartels uh, pushing fentanyl all over our country. And, and of course, you know, a, a foreign policy outlook that's very concerning uh, for almost all Americans. I mean, Afghanistan, just one example, place that in the broader context of Obama and Biden us pulling us out of uh, out of Iraq in 2011 that we of course we had to reinvade again to go fight ISIS and then the constant constant appeasement of Iran that we're seeing from from this kind of cabal of globalists that that populated the Obama administration and now the Biden administration that are sending billions of dollars to our most pernicious and consistent adversary for the last 43 years Iran's been killing Americans for 43 years last week was the 40th anniversary of the 83 Beirut barracks bombing where 283 Marines were killed while they slept by Iran. And we continue to send them billions of dollars. And then we act surprised when they use that money uh, to try to wipe out Israel and kill Americans. So, uh, you know, broadly speaking, Montana's like most Americans are looking at what's going on and, and they're wondering when, when common sense is going to be returned to our government. Yeah. And so many people have this nonsense that like, oh, well, Iran's going to use the six billion dollars for humanitarian aid. It's like, how, how naive could you be to believe that that would be the case? And and just sticking with the energy crisis that we're having, and obviously now, you know, even our oil reserves are the lowest that they've ever been. But obviously the climate change hustle that they've been hitting us with for the last few years, they want everyone to drive an electric vehicle. Uh, I, I rented one out in Oregon when I was there uh, for an event a couple of weeks ago. And just to try to find a charging station to wait 40 minutes for this thing to charge drove me bananas. I can't believe people actually are going for this. But I would imagine in Montana, it's got to be very hard to find one of these charging stations, even here in Jersey, where it's densely populated. It's hard to find one. So what what is the sentiment there in Montana on bringing in these electric vehicles and how hard is it to find a charging station out there? Well, again, common sense. I mean, people look at the state of Montana and say, how in the world can an electric vehicle make any sense in our state? I mean, right now when, you know, it's October and, you know, it's below zero right now. We get, we got a foot of snow on the ground. You park a battery powered vehicle outside overnight in these conditions, you're going to come out in the morning, it's going to be dead. And then you're going to be potentially at times hours, hours away from a charging station uh, unless you have one of those little trickle charges in your garage. So, you know, listen, I think Montanans are incredibly common sense people. All right, there's a time and place to throw a solar panel on the roof of your house. There's a time and place for an electric car. Nobody's against that stuff, but they are very, very against, uh, you know, federal fiats and mandates that are trying to convert our economy from the greatest and cheapest source of energy ever known to mankind, that's American fossil fuels. How we pull fuel from the ground, refine it, process it, transport and use it is cleaner than any other form of energy known to man. And you want to see uh, environmental degradation. You want to see human slavery. Look at the lithium mines. Look at the rare earth minings you know, in, in Africa and Asia. And, and that's where you can see some real pain and some real environmental destruction. So yeah, reorienting where it should be, not just energy sustainability, but energy dominance. America should be energy dominant. And the fastest way to economic recovery for everyday Americans, the fastest way to reduce our national debt, and the fastest way to get our economy back on a 5% GDP growth trajectory is unleashing and empowering American energy to be the most dominant source of energy in the world. Well said. And again, it's common sense. It's a common sense issue. And, and, and I agree with you. I think the electric vehicle is a nice have. It's not a must have. Uh, if you want to get it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's a luxury item or you want to change up and do something to help the environment. Fine. But mandating it and trying to change all these things, uh, I, I think, is a, a, a total disjust, a disservice to the American people. And I wanted to ask you, Tim, about parental rights, because that's one of the issues that really uh, forced me to launch this new show here to talk about politics is because when you have like the president of the United States saying there's no such thing as somebody else's kid, these are all our children. Uh, it really drove me crazy. And it's like, that's that Marxist ideology that's coming from, oh, there's a village to raise your children. No, it's the parents' responsibility and children belong to their parents as a blessing from God. But then when you had the, you want these kids being raised by the government, we got a fatherless crisis. That's an epidemic in our country that has destroyed so many different lives. We're filling up the prison systems with these fatherless kids and now the parental rights are coming attack when you go to a school board meeting because you don't want your your second grader to learn about uh, transgenderism. They're calling you a terrorist. So what, what is the parental rights issue and what's your take on all that? Listen, I mean, the foundation of Western civilization uh, for thousands of years now, Western civilization that's led to the Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, you know, the pillars of freedom 
that that enshrine the individual as, as truly the greatest source of potential for the future of mankind. Um, it's been the Western world that's enshrined the mind and souls of individuals to have the freedom uh, to believe, to love and to grow. And, and the most foundational building block of that is the family. And, and that's why the nuclear family for so long has been the focus uh, of free Western society. And as you correctly pointed out, when you go back and look at the Marxist um, revolutions and the Marxist movement for the last 150 years, uh, what you see is deconstruction of the family, deconstruction of the church, and deconstruction of the community because they want to replace those social bonds with the state. You know, we, we, the purest example of this was the Cultural Revolution when Mao Zedong was was deconstructing, you know, the Chinese peasantry and trying to reorient them towards a radical version of Marxism. And the Maoist path was to eliminate faith eliminate family, turn children against their parents, turn parents against each other, turn villages against each other, and replace all of that social cohesion and faith with the state and say the state is your new faith, the state is your new family, and the state will give you the values uh, that you will live by. And, and that's a very scary thing because the state, you know, what is the state's values? What is the state anchored to? And, you know, fundamentally, a bureaucracy of government is anchored to power. So they will say what is ever necessary to remain in power. And the family is the building block of a free society uh, has proven to be uh, the most prosperous and freedom guaranteeing method uh, ever. So parental rights, uh, you know, us having the right to know what our children are learning. Uh, we homeschool our four children for exactly that that reason. It's not because we're some weirdos living off the grid. Yes, we're farmers, ranchers, and we live in rural America. But we want our children to grow up knowing the Constitution, knowing the Declaration of Independence. We have a Constitution framed on the wall of our homeschool room because it's so important or our kids understand that that document has guaranteed so much freedom and opportunity for so many people, not just Americans, but people around the world. And, and we want them to respect that and love that. Uh, and of course, alongside their faith and their family, uh, you know, th those are things that they can be rooted in um, and, and gives, them, uh, gives them a value system uh, that'll stick with them the rest of their life. And, and when you subcontract out your parenting and you, and you sub out your values uh, to a bureaucracy, um, you know, you're going to get whatever they want to give you and, and you have to make sure you have a voice. So it's, it's been really disappointing to see, um, you know, the drift of that, especially during COVID when we saw, you know, the remote learning and parents are finally being exposed to a lot of what their children were seeing. I, I don't think this is an accident. I don't think it's an accident we're seeing that this this uh, parental backlash is because during COVID, they were forced to get reengaged in their children's education. And I think that, that that awoke them to the fact that, wow, they're learning stuff that I don't agree with. And, you know, I'm fine with my kids learning stuff that I don't agree with, but I should at least be a part of that and have a voice in it because these are my children that I'm responsible for raising and and their values and their beliefs are something that we should be engaged in. And, and I think what's really been surprising for with folks um, is the backlash of the bureaucracy against that. You know, no one ever thought if a parent showed up and said, hey, you know, I'm not really comfortable with what you're teaching my kid or I want to be engaged in or, hey, I want to know that you're, you're talking to my kid about transitioning their gender. I want to be involved in that. And they say, no, you don't have the right to know that. Uh, you know, we're keeping the secret from you, the parents. And I think, you know, we're finally seeing the backlash there. and We've got to empower parents and families, um, you know, to raise their children, and the value systems that, that they hold dear. And, and it's just wrong, Tim. It's like, I can't even understand. Like, even the Democrats that, that, I, that I'm friends with, that I work with, I, I work on a railroad. I've been doing that for 24 years as a diesel mechanic on the locomotives. And it's like a lot of Democrats there, and none of them agree with the fact that, number one, that their daughter should be using the same bathroom as a grown dude, or a grown dude should be allowed to use the same bathroom, that they don't agree with the, the women having to compete against men in sports. Like, these are common sense things that are really, and I think if you look around our country, a lot of people are kind of like, Wow, this just popped up like in the last few years, but this has been coming. This has been coming for a very long time. And it started, I think, in our universities where they really just started to indoctrinate all these kids. And you use that word indoctrination. People look at you like you're a conspiracy theorist, like, but that's what's been coming because you see what the, the machine is spitting out of these universities. Kids, uh, parents are just shocked by their kids coming home. They hate America. They hate the police. They don't have any skill sets to pay back these huge loans that they took out. Now they're asking the uneducated taxpayers to bail them out. And I think so many, I can't imagine on either side of the political aisle, it says that we're succeeding in bringing our kids into the future here. I don't think we're equipping them with any skill sets whatsoever. And, and all they come out with is just they want to all be little activists. Now you get the nail on the head. And I'm, I'm, you, you hit the nail on the head with the word the words uh, diesel mechanic. You know, it, that is a, is a source of education and training uh, from diesel mechanics to mechanics, to plumbers, to electricians, to avionics technicians, to airplane, uh, airframe and power plant mechanics. We have a national shortage 
uh, of, of young men who work with their hands. And that's because we've been telling two generations of young men that if you grow up to work with your hands, you're a failure. Uh, you should go to a four-year school, then sit in a cubicle and stare at a plasma screen, and that means you're successful. And, and we've created this, this labor shortage artificially by encouraging young men specifically, but young women too. We're having nursing shortage as well. I we have a doctor shortage that, hey, you know, don't do those dirty jobs. You got to go out and get your hands dirty because, you know, that means you're going to be blue collar and, and, you know, go get a four-year education and, you know, gender studies and basket weaving and take out your $200,000 in loans and, and, and you'll be better for it. And then when they get there, they realize, wow, I'm in $200,000 of student debt. I can't pay it back. I don't have a marketable skill. I want the state to bail me out. And uh, it, it's a it's a crisis of our own creation. And, um, you know, I'm proud that we funded a, a community college program here in Bozeman just specifically focused on trades because, you know, our industry, specifically aerial firefighting, we have a huge shortage of air, airframe and power plant mechanics and avionics technicians that are, are great jobs where you can go to a two year school, graduate with no debt because you can work as an apprentice during that school time. Uh, during your, your, your education, you can do training by the hour. You can graduate with zero debt and be making six figures in two or three years in a very competitive industry. And, and we need to reorient Americans back to common sense. You know, common sense. Your job should be able to pay for whatever debt that you, you've taken on. It's not the state's responsibility. Uh, you should get an education that's going to be marketable for you and your family. Uh, you should support policies that are economically viable. And, and that goes from as a business owner to, to a family leader. To uh, our nation, our nation should be able to run like a business. We have states that run budget surpluses. We have businesses that run budget surpluses. Why is it we allow our federal government to deficit spend its way into almost forty trillion in debt that we're going to saddle our children with that? I mean, this, the student debt crisis is a microcosm of what's coming nationally, where you know we've saddled our kids with debt because we convince them they have to go through an education program that when they graduate the quarter million in debt they're not going to be able to pay it off, and we know that when they take it out. And then when it happens, you know, we act incredulous. So um, common sense, common sense. I mean, we have to get our country back to common sense. Boys are girls, girls are boys. You know, you have to have a job that services the amount of debt you've taken out. You know, you need to have a job that's marketable, that there's a market demand for that. Not everyone can be a digital social media content creator. So stop telling everyone they can. And, you know, it, it, parents should be responsible for raising their children, not the schools. Uh, you know, we should be rewarding good behavior, punishing bad behavior. You know, right now we're, we're vilifying our cops and we're letting mobs of teens go into stores and, and rob them blind and run out. We're, and, and, and when the employees try to stop them, the employees are getting fired. I mean, it, we're living in Dr. Seuss land. We're up is down and down is up. So, you know, we, we've just got to get back to common sense. And I think, you know, what you alluded to with a lot of your Democrat friends on the railroad are I think we're seeing nationwide people are finally waking up. They've, they've been watching this, you know, Democrat utopia movie for the last three years. Because during COVID, the Democrats showed us exactly what they wanted to do with America. We don't have to wonder anymore. They wanted to tell you when you can travel, where you can travel, whether your job's essential or not. You, you can't go to church, but you can mark in, march in a BLM rally. Um, you know, you have to stick this in your body. Otherwise, you, you can't have a job. And we're going to put this much money in the economy. Uh, these businesses will open and these businesses will close. We saw complete and total control of the country handed over to bureaucrats. And guess what? The car ended up in the ditch. And now Americans are looking at that saying, we can't keep doing this. So I think we have an opportunity as conservatives, as family, uh, family leaders, as husbands and fathers to reorient this country in the next two election cycles back to common sense and try to get ourselves back on solid footing. Because we have some serious problems. And if we don't solve in the next five years, I don't think they become solvable, to be honest. I mean, we got to get our debt and deficit spending under control. We've got to get our border under control. We've got to get our education system reoriented. Um, uh, to performance. And we've got to adopt a foreign policy that makes sense. So th yeah. that's what I'm trying to do by running for Senate. Uh, Tim for MT.com. Folks can learn more about me and the campaign, why we're doing this, what our issues are. Um, but man, it, it's a time for choosing and, and we need new generation leaders to step up. Yeah, great stuff, Tim. And I got the link uh, to your campaign down there in the description below. So all my listeners can tap it and find out more about you. And, and you're right. And right now we're living in a, in a fatherless, a godless and a lawless society. And with those three things, until they're brought under control, nothing is going to change. And like you said, if, if this continues another five years, I don't know if we can get it back. And it's just like, you know, the Democrats keep preaching all this stuff, particularly to minority Americans, that they're the best option for them. Yet when we look at these Democrat controlled cities that have been under Democratic rule for 50 years, I mean, at least 
five decades, so many of these cities, and they're, they are crime riddled, homelessness out of control, uh, drug use out of control. So it's like if the Democrat is the dream place for the for the minority Americans to be, where is this shining utopia city that you can use as the example? If these policies truly work, why can't they just point and say, this is what we want to make America? I know a lot of people say, uh, make Florida America, make Texas America. Where is the Democrat city that they can point to and say, make this America? I haven't found one yet. Well, they're trying hard. I mean, uh, California, New York City, and I'll, I'll tell you where the hypocrisy really becomes you know, laid bare. You know, you look at New York City the last few weeks, the governor of the state of New York and, of course, the mayor of New York are now calling for a secure border. You know, once the problem's on their doorstep, all of a sudden it's time to deal with it. You know, communities in Texas and Arizona and Southern California have been dealing with this crisis for, for years and years on end, millions of people pouring across the border. And, and uh, all that time, well, this is the border crisis isn't real. You're imagining it. This is sensationalized. Stop, stop gaslighting America into the fact that we have a border crisis. Well, until there's 10,000 migrants sleeping on the streets of Manhattan, all of a sudden, now it's a crisis. And, and once again, I mean, the common sense, doesn't know Republican or Democrat. You know, math doesn't know Republican or Democrat. There, there are fundamental truths in this world. They exist. There are men and women. There were, there were male and female dinosaurs 65 million years ago, and there's female humans. Okay, math is math. You better take in more money than you're spending. That's just how math works. As a nation, we better do the same. Uh, if you reward bad behavior and punish good, if you pay people to sit on the couch and not to work, guess what? You're going to have a labor shortage. And that's exactly what we have. If you print money six times faster and the economy is growing, you're going to have inflation. That's math. So, it, it, you know, we need to reorient our political dialogue around the fact that there are basic truths that are rooted in common sense. And we better start governing to those truths. Otherwise, we're going to be in big trouble. We are in big trouble, but it's going to be unrecoverable soon if we don't refocus on the fundamentals. Yeah, you're, you're crushing this, Tim. You're definitely ready for this uh, Senate run. I can tell you that. And I, I know one thing, obviously, you talk about that we're in debt way over our head here. And we want to continue to give hundreds of billions of dollars over to Ukraine and over now to Israel as well. When when Donald Trump, when he was the president, asked for eight billion to build the wall, the wall, they talked to him. He was out of his mind. We didn't have the money. That's insane. But here it is. Hundreds of billions we want to give now. What is your take here? Because this is the trending thing. This is the this is all the talk right now. What is your take on uh, all this constant money being going giving to Ukraine? And now also they want to lump that into a package instead of giving Israel uh, money directly. They want to lump that in. So what's your take on giving money to these foreign countries to secure their borders? Yeah, I mean, our foreign policy has to be one very simple phrase, whether you like them or, uh, or hate them, America first. We have to put the interests of Americans, America's economy uh, and, and our interests first in any foreign policy decision we make. And I say that as someone who gallivanted around the world for a long time fighting our wars, got wounded multiple times doing so. Uh, I believe in the right of freedom. I believe that we want other countries to embody our values and we have a duty to support them. But our duty to support them is rooted in, in ultimately what's going to serve the best, best interests of America. And when you look at when America acts in its best interests, the rest of the world benefits. The rest of the world benefits when we are a strong, vibrant economy, when we're a strong, respected nation. And when we start acting and engaging uh, in all these wars uh, all over the world, which we have been, I mean, you look at Africa for, for 30 years, we've been running around there, the Middle East, Iraq, we've invaded Iraq three times in the last 30 years, three times we paid for the same real estate with American blood. And each time, you know, we pull out when we get impatient. You know, Afghanistan was a disaster. I support Ukraine's independence. Absolutely. I wish them the very, very best. And, and I supported us halting the, the momentum of Putin's invasion last year when we didn't know, was he going to keep going through Ukraine and go to Germany and Poland? I mean, what was he going to do? But now it's devolved into a, a, a there's no geographic movement. It's a trench warfare battle where the only thing it's costing is lives. And Putin's not getting weaker. He's getting stronger. The argument that we are degrading his military capacity, I don't buy that because he's making ammunition faster than he ever has before because he's, he's spooled up his war machine. And he, the cost for him to fund his military is about 10% what it costs us to fund ours. So there's a fundamental economic imbalance there. We need to sue for peace in Ukraine as soon as we can, because nothing's going to come of that conflict other than more death. Israel, I, I firmly, firmly support Israel. You know, the, the, they have been, the Jews have been the most persecuted people in the history of mankind from the pharaohs through the Holocaust. It's absolutely tragic what's happened. And the best thing we can do for Israel is stop empowering Iran. Stop giving Iran billions of dollars. Obama was sending plane loads of gold to Iran while me and my partners were in the region fighting Iran directly. 
You know, I've got friends on my wrist here who I carried them off a plane and handed them their family to over Air Force Base that were killed by Iranian efforts in Iraq. Iran's been murdering Americans for 40 plus years, and we continue to appease them time and again. It's no coincidence. We released six billion in frozen assets, and three weeks later, they started invading Israel. And, and under the Biden administration, we have unlocked the sanctions on their oil money that, that their state access to funds has gone to over $30 billion because we've allowed them to monetize their oil uh, industry. So we have to stop empowering our adversaries. And if, if we don't empower our adversaries, like Russia, like China, like Iran, then we don't have to spend hundreds of billions of dollars funding states who are fighting them. So back to common sense, back to truths. We need to have a foreign policy that recognizes the 21st century is fundamentally different. And my biggest concern about America's foreign policy that you alluded to is sending hundreds of billions of dollars all over the world every year is that we, we still are acting like it's the mid-1990s again. We're in a unipolar world where America is the only superpower and what we say goes. That's just, that's just not the case anymore. Uh, we may not like it, but the, the, the truth is we are moving into a multipolar global landscape where we have economies that will dwarf ours soon. India is rapidly rising, 1.3 billion people. That economy will eclipse ours in the next 50 years, as will China's. And with Russia and China combining into kind of a this joint alternate economy, we see Brazil aligning with Russia, India, and China, and South Africa to create a new currency that exists in parallel to our own. Uh, we can try to act like we're still the world's only superpower, but the reality is other powers are emerging, and we better get a lot smarter about how we're going to use our resources and our political capital around the world. Otherwise, um, you know, we're going to go headlong in, into a collapse of the American empire uh, because we're going to act like it's still 30 years ago. And, and that's what precedes the fall of every empire is the refusal to accept the new reality, continuing to believe you're in the past until it's too late. We need to reorient our foreign policy very, very quickly because the world's changing. Yeah, there's no doubt that the tra trajectory that we're on right now is headed towards the collapse of this great, great society here that we have or a great uh, um, country that was built on this Constitution. We are closer to that than we are to the beginning of the greatness of this country. And that's why uh, I think it's important that guys like you are into the fight. And again, hit the people here. Uh, how is the campaign going and hit the people one more time with where they can go if they want to donate and help find out more about you? Yeah, Tim for MT .com, Tim for MT .com. So. Tim Sheehy, U.S. Senate candidate in Montana. It's a very important race. This race will determine control of the U.S. Senate. If we win this race uh, in Montana against Democrat John Tester, uh, we flip this seat uh, from blue to red, we'll have control of the U.S. Senate. The campaign's going great. You know, listen, I'm largely an unknown. I got into this race, uh, you know, ha having been a combat veteran, a father and a business owner. So I haven't been a career politician. A lot of people didn't know who I was. But four months into this, uh, we got fantastic support. We were the largest GOP fundraiser in the nation uh, for Senate and congressional candidates in Q3. Uh, the polls look really good. We're neck and neck already. I think people are ready for a fresh face. Um, they're ready for a new generation of leaders. They're ready to stop seeing you know, the same names on the ballot over and over again. They're ready to say, listen, we need a new generation of leaders uh, and someone like me who's been on the field of battle, who's fought for this country, who's unequivocal about my commitment uh, to our Constitution and to our American values. Uh, the message is resonating and people are ready for it. So, uh, so far, it's going great. I appreciate you having me on and, and we're going to win this. Yeah, well, much respect, Tim. I love what you're doing. God bless you for the rest of the way up until Election Day next year. Hopefully we can get you into the Senate. The link for your campaign is down there below for my listeners. Guys, check the link, share the link. Let's get Tim into the Senate. Uh, Tim Sheehy, thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time here on the Outlay Show. Thanks for doing this for America's future. All right. It is always a tremendous honor. Anytime I get the opportunity to speak to our veteran U.S. Navy SEALs, uh, just uh, awesome that I get a chance to do this. I hope you guys got a lot out of that. Let me know what you thought about the interview down below. What did you think about Tim and his campaign? If you want to find out more about him, his family, and what he's doing, the link to his campaign is right there down below in the description of today's podcast. While you're down there, make sure you share this broadcast to as many people. Uh, introduce Tim to as many people in your in your circle, in your contact list as possible, because I think his is a he's got a powerful voice. I'll tell you, I think the, the political career is bright for Tim Sheehy. I think he's very well spoken. He's very good on the issues. Uh, I think he has got a bright career ahead of him in Washington. And uh, the guy, these guys that we are seeing now, uh, these Navy SEALs that are getting involved in the fight, we need their voices more than ever. You heard me say it to Tim. I've had a lot of the, the a lot of them on my show, First Class Fatherhood. I think the only U.S. Navy SEAL to serve in the Senate was Bob Kerry. 
I also did an interview with Bob Kerry on First Class Fatherhood as well. Really, really great guy. Ran. At, he was a Democrat, U.S. Senator from Nebraska. Ran against Bill Clinton uh, for the nomination for president back in '93 or '92, whenever whenever they did the primaries. He lost to Bill Clinton. Came in second in that primary race. But Bob Kerry, Medal of Honor recipient, Navy SEAL, all around badass, and just a great American. Uh, but Tim Sheehy is in the he's in the fight. So find out more about him below. And I t- promised you guys that if you stuck around for the end of today's episode, I would hit you with the big guest announcement for next week. Now, the first announcement was I have been invited to attend the premiere of Dinesh D'Souza's new film, Police State, down at Mar-a-Lago tomorrow night. So I will be down there. Follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter or X, uh, at Alec Lace. I will be posting videos, pictures, going live if I can uh, from inside Mar-a-Lago. So more on that to come. And next week, since you guys are going to be missing out on another episode this week, I'm, I'm making up for it next week with a huge guest. United States Senator Ted Cruz will be joining me right here on the Alec Lace Show. It's going to be an honor to have the senator here on the podcast. So don't miss out on that episode. He'll be here next week on the Alec Lay Show. Make sure you're subscribing to the channel here on Rumble to watch the broadcast live. You can always hear the rebroadcast of these episodes on Apple or Spotify. And while you're doing so, please uh, hit me with a subscribe, with a rating, with a review, or wherever you're listening, because it does go a long way to help me out and boost us up in the rankings. And if it wasn't for you guys doing so, there'd be no shot at me getting all these guests that you're seeing me interview here on the podcast. Let me know what you thought about today's guest, Alan Dershowitz, Tim Sheehy. Uh, let me know what you thought about them. Let me know who else you would like to see. And do not miss out on next week's interview with Senator Ted Cruz right here live on the Alec Lace Show. So follow the channel, spread the word, share the broadcast, and do what you can. And that's all I got for you guys today. I will be jumping on a plane tomorrow to head down to Florida for the big event. And again, I'll be posting pictures on social, so follow me on there. Uh, God bless all of you listeners and you parents out there. Uh, God bless our first responders and our military veterans. Uh, God bless America, and I will catch you guys next week. God bless you.